this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about connections, international business, supply chains and globalization and the effects these have had on our life or work and our travel over recent times. In today's program, I'm joined again by my colleagues from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group of the Society for the Advancement of Consulting to discuss some of the big issues facing businesses in 2023, namely sustainability, talent and automation. These are three topics that when you think it through, they are actually very interrelated and intertwined. So joining me today, we have David Ogilvy, founder and principal at David Ogilvy Associates in Brisbane, Australia. Welcome, David. Thank you, Patrick. Diane Garcia, president of Lorraine Consulting based in Phoenix, Arizona. Welcome, Diane. Hello. Hi, Patrick. And Lisa Anderson, president of LMA Consulting, joining us from the Los Angeles metro area in California. Welcome. Hello, Lisa. glad to be here. So uh, I've been reading this PwC Global CEO report, which was uh, published recently. They've surveyed over 4,400 CEOs in 105 countries. And it turns out that four out of 10 global CEOs are concerned about the long-term economic viability of their firms if they actually continue on their current path. And for Ireland specifically within that, uh, I was interested to see what are the top areas of investment uh, priority. And they are in, in order of, of preference and quite surprising. Number one, automation. Number two, upskilling. Uh, number three, technology deployment. Number four, decarbonization. And number five, rollout of alternative energy. So I suspect in other developed economies like the US and Australia, it's probably not that different. So maybe I'll start with you, um, Lisa. What do these results uh, suggest to you? And do they resonate with what you're seeing in the US among your clients or just in your general understanding of business? Or are you seeing other priorities there? Uh, no, I'm definitely seeing uh, several of those priorities. So the I don't remember them all, but technology for sure, uh, folks are looking at, they're looking at um, um, the priorities of looking at how to reshore and nearshore, but do it in an effective way. So that's why technology um, rises to the top, automation um, and those those types of um, priorities. While they're doing that, if they can do it in a uh, way that's green, of course, that's you know just a win-win. So I mean, it just gives them the opportunity to think about how they can uh, set up operations or expand operations in a smart way. So um, many of those, you know, most of those priorities I'm seeing uh, here as well. Mm. Anything? Are you, are you seeing anything specifically with regard to automation? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, so, and I I just remembered one of the other ones you said upskilling, but automation. Uh, the uh, because people are thinking about reshoring, they're they're thinking, how do I do this without paying so many wages? Because you know they can't afford, you know, in quotes, to bring it back from like let's say China. I mean, after all, we've certainly found out that we have all these uh, balloons and whatnot else flying above us. So we definitely need to be doing something to reshore uh, business and we need to do it in a profitable way. So from that point of view, lots of there's a lot of interest in automation and robotics and those types of things. <laughs> and upskilling is the other one that's really um, 
Well, the smart companies are definitely thinking about it because as more and more technology and automation uh, comes to fruition, they need to, I mean, you know, we're, we're reducing the need for lower skilled positions, but we're increasing the need for higher skilled positions. And we have this conundrum going on. We still don't have enough people to fill positions and we have less people in the labor market still in the U.S. than we did prior to the pandemic. So we've we've got to upskill, automate, um, and uh, you know uh, utilize technology to be successful. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're seeing this here as well. There's a there's a shortage of 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 skills um, all around industry. And um, there's a rise in immigration and you have people protesting about um, immigration. So on the one hand, we need more people. And on the other hand, there's protests because more people are are coming in. So it, it seems that, um, as you said, those lower skilled jobs are becoming scarcer and the types of people that are required are higher skilled. And it actually turns out statistically that our immigrants are more qualified on average than our um, um, the, the people who are already here in the in the country. So you're getting that kind of mismatch um, going on at the at the same time. Apparently contradictory, but you know it's going on at the at the same time. Um, uh, interesting also that you suggest uh, this this thing of of reshoring. Just very interesting. Um, interview I listened to on uh, Deep Dish, uh, which is the Chicago, Chicago Council of Global Affairs, and they have this Deep Dish uh, podcast, and they were talking to uh, Shannon O'Neill, and she's written a book called The Myth of Globalization. First part of her argument, she's saying that um, globalization wasn't all it was cracked up to be. It wasn't as extended as as, as people thought, and it was really more a regionalization um, than a, a true globalization and that's more so now and she's pointing out how countries like Mexico are doing really well um, out of what's happening at the moment this reshoring coming back from from Asia uh, to a kind of a North American um, region and Mexico is yeah. doing quite quite well out of it. So uh, David I read Wall Street Journal recently that there have been disappointing productivity increases in recent years and they argue that it's due to a patchy uptake and in integration of technology over, you know, a period of years. Um, the thing, like, it's not that the the future isn't here; it's just unevenly distributed around the place. And in the in the environment of zero interest rates and low inflation, people have tended to kind of throw money and bodies at issues um, rather than investing in in uh, technology but now that the financial dynamic and the incentive has changed um do you see perhaps uh, a change of attitude with regard to technology and automation uh, adoption integration implementation and so on so what are you seeing where do you think things are headed well patrick yes i have seen that um certainly <clears throat> uh i have to say that COVID was extraordinarily good for my business because it more than doubled for, and that was because there were so many people out there who who found during the COVID uh, environment that they weren't able to extract the information that they needed to make good decisions, uh, and so that's that uh, predicated then a, a series of of uh, system replacement uh, type requests that we would get. Now um, I think there's a there's a, a lot of people looking to 
to find how new technology can help them in the current environment and, and to get that productivity that they're going to need to help um, uh, fight the inflationary environments and the recession that's predicted to come and all those sorts of things. I think one of the challenges, of course, is that the technology industry does not have a good success rate. Um, ERP in particular has got a very high failure rate uh, and, um, you know, that, 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 that puts a... Uh, a boundary, if you like, or, or or a blockage into executives making a decision to adopt these sorts of of projects because they are very high risk. Because let's be honest, if a, if an ERP system goes implementation goes wrong, uh, it can have a, a large impact on that business, and in fact, it has crippled many businesses. Um, and so, it is a very risky decision to to move forward. Uh, and I think that's potentially the reason why you're seeing a lot of people talking about adoption of technology, but p- perhaps not the volume or the speed of adoption that um, you might expect with that amount of chatter, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And do you think the change in the financial environment is going to have an effect? I think uh, the change in the financial environment, particularly the reshoring and nearshoring that Lisa was talking about, um, will lead to a lot of uh, automation. So technology in the sense of, of, of machinery and, and that sort of automation, I, I'm seeing a lot of distribution companies that I'm working with adopting, you know, the automatic retrieval and storage systems, uh, those sorts of things, taking, taking the, 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 um, uh, the manual portion out of, out of that part of their business. I see some of the smaller businesses, for example, finally adopting things like barcoding and uh, real-time data capture, those sorts of things to get efficiencies in their business. So, you know, the scale of the technology adoption changes depending on the size of the business, but I don't think there's any doubt that there are people who are uh, are turning to technology to get that productivity improvement that they're going to need. And uh, Diane, um, it's been in the news here. Biden administration, I understand, is making um, putting out some massive uh, incentives for uh, green uh, technology and green investment, and it's actually causing a, a reaction in, in in Europe to develop its own counter incentives. And I understand there's a there's a big package in the in the making at the moment. And uh, here in Europe as well, the war in the Ukraine has sparked a kind of a spectacular about turn. Uh, the EU has virtually weaned itself off Russian gas within the, within a year and breaking all kind of um, expectations in, in that regard. Probably <laughs> most known would be Vladimir Putin's expectations in that regard. Um, so every day it seems there are more investments in, in renewables, electric vehicles and, and so on. So how is this manifesting in the in the US and do you think the time is coming where this is going to become kind of mainstream and the the criticism's going to going to wane and uh we might see it being just the way business gets done in the future I do think that we have these advancements I think companies have been utilizing them um you know as the technology does advance I don't know that you know things are drastically changing but I do feel that Companies are still, you know, working on initiatives that will support, you know, the a green supply chain, and uh, and how they can, you know, develop or or reduce waste out of the process and develop uh, initiatives to clean up their manufacturing processes. Um, back to what David was mentioning about the automation and and the ERP systems, mostly like I see clients who are 
uh, utilizing their ERP systems uh, to, to get data out so they can make better choices in, in their uh, supply chains. But I just wanted to add on that some of this, uh, you know, initiative of green supply chains can even just be boiled down to that we know what kind of inventories to hold and what kind of inventories we need so that we reduce waste and not move product around the, the globe that isn't really necessary in the you know, on our shelves or on our ships or, you know, in, in transit as the, as the companies would need. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Lisa, do you have any, any view on the question I asked uh, David about technology uh, rollout and this idea that, you know, productivity growth had been disappointing over, over recent years and maybe the financial incentives were contributing to that and maybe things are changing? Well, I mean, I do agree with David that, uh, you know, 80%, the statistics are something like 80% of ERP implementations and large technology rollouts fail to achieve the intended results. So from that point of view, yes, but that's not new. So I really don't think that the efficiency um, or productivity numbers you're talking about really relate to real productivity measures, at least in the U.S. market. Um, I think that it's more how numbers are calculated and like which industries they're looking at. And and there's a lot of things that go into it. What I see from uh, the clients that I'm working with is, is that if anything, they're continuing to focus on being more efficient, uh, being more, uh, you know, they're automating and, and doing all those types of things. So I think uh, I would be suspicious about it. And, and they're also implementing new technologies and, you know, that type of thing. I mean, sure, there's there's always hiccups, but it's by no means new. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, David, I know you, uh, Australia has particular challenges with regard to um, sustainability, renewables, and, and, and so on. So how do you see that agenda playing out in Australia uh, and in, in the Pacific region over the, the year and the, and beyond? I'm, I'm no um, economic uh, guru, Patrick, but um, I, I do see concerns that the, the speed at which the governments are, are talking about the transition to renewables um, and the, the the messages that they're giving the market around investment, I think we're going to potentially have large gaps in our capability. Um, I don't think that the new technologies and and the green the green energy um, industries are going to be able to get to scale quickly enough to take over the uh, the, the supply that um, that the, the fossil fuels are currently um, providing. So, um, and there's there's a definite lack of, of of maintenance and investment in the fossil fuel industries here. Our, like I mean, our 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 power was almost um, uh, rationed uh, in the peak of summer. Like I mentioned to you before we started, we're, we're getting temperatures of 38 degrees here um, yesterday. So you know, there's a lots of air conditioners running, and there's a lots of fridges that are running, and those sorts of things, right? And there's a there's a large demand, and there's just no capacity to fill that at the moment, apart from fossil fuels. So that gap is what I see as the biggest risk. Yeah. Yeah, okay. and I I, so I would totally agree with that. Go ahead. 
Sorry, uh, Patrick. Yeah, I just wanted to say I totally agree with what David's saying. Um, there's a lot of talk, certainly, um, about the, um, I mean, really, everyone is trying to be more energy efficient. And as it can make sense for the business, they're doing that for sure. They're eliminating waste and they're being more efficient and being, um, they want to conserve resources. But we are very far from uh, getting away from fossil fuels. I mean, it's like, I heard a statistic, I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like we've moved the needle by 1% mm. um, in the last like 20 years. So, I mean, there's, there is a, um, and what's worse than that is, is that there is a lot of push here um, to go to like electric cars and to use electricity, we don't have the capabilities to provide the electricity to charge the cars and even to get any of the stuff for the batteries that are in the cars because that's in China, which we have these crazy balloons flying over us. So I don't see how that's going to work. 93.9, Dublin South FM. It is curious how when the when the chips are down, so say they take the case of Europe and the, and, and the war and the Russian gas, and this time last year, people were saying, you know, we're going to be big trouble here um, because we are going to have to reduce and we're going to have to store and we're going to have to find alternative energy sources. And it's going to be really difficult. And now, 12 months later, people are saying, actually, we've done a lot better than we thought we were going to do. Um, we've reduced consumption uh, quite a bit. Granted, we probably had a milder winter than we would have uh, expected. Um, but at the same time, there's a kind of a pleasant surprise on what has been achieved. So it's surprising when when the chips are down and there's a kind of a, uh, an imperative, a bit like during COVID. You know, I remember at the beginning of COVID, people were saying it takes 10 years to develop a vaccine. And yet there was yeah. a vaccine. There was a vaccine within a year. So um, it is it is surprising sometimes what can be done when you have to do it. Right. Well, totally agree with that. Interesting you say that. I was at a mining industry breakfast a couple of months ago, and one of the speakers there was saying that with, with all of the predicted um, demand for uh, renewable in the cars and, and all of the other battery storage that are going to be needed, they were saying something like um, the amount of copper that's going to be needed to support all of that development in the next 10 years equates to more copper than they've mined to date ever yep i i that's so i totally agree with you patrick How's that, that gonna happen? Pe people can do a lot when they set their minds to it but there are some issues with that particular topic that like david said i totally agree with david it's just not it's not possible to happen mm -hmm. yeah okay um but there's new sources too, though. Like, I don't know. I heard, um, like, I'm really out of my element now, but I heard something about some nuclear fuse. I don't remember, but basically there's, there's some new sources of energy. So I totally agree that there's like possibilities, but the current state scenario, they're just, I mean, there's just well, not enough can... of the uh, key resources needed throughout the world to do what we're trying to do. And there needs to be some mindset changes, right? Because nuclear is definitely off the table here in Australia. There is no, there is no appetite to have nuclear here at all. Yeah, um, you're right. Yeah, um, 
and Germany uh, terminated their um, nuclear program um, some some years ago, and they're resisting turning it back on again. Although France is a country that produces a large uh, percentage of its electricity from nuclear, which has insulated it to a great degree against uh, some of the some of the energy shocks. But I think the the new development you were referring to, Lisa, was that recently some scientists um, managed to carry out a successful experiment in nuclear uh fusion as opposed fusion to, yeah i thought i thought that's what right but i didn't as, want as i opposed, didn't know if i was uh, right as opposed to nuclear fusion <laughs> and the good thing about that is it doesn't produce um radioactive waste and it was the first time that they sustained a fusion reaction that produced a uh, significantly more energy output than was needed as an input to get it started so it was right. a real it was a real kind of breakthrough. So the promise the promise of that it potentially is almost limitless, cheap, abundant right. energy. Right. So we well, we, and and in the U.S., we've been we are like the world's like we we produce really clean energy like with uh, natural gas, and you know we've a lot of those companies that produce oil and natural gas have been are the leader are you know leading the uh entree into a lot of the green stuff as well so i mean i think there's a lot of potential but i do agree with david that it's like we're we're um it's pie in the sky uh to be thinking that it's going to be like transforming our situation near term yeah well, we've got we've got one of our our australian billionaires it's um Jumped on the on the green bandwagon, so to speak, and and he's put a lot of investment into you know hydrogen. And um, but again, I'm no scientist, but um, my rudimentary understanding of how you generate uh, the hydrogen is you've got to apply a lot of electricity to split yeah. the atoms. So, so so where the heavens does that that level of of power come from? Um, I think I think one of the one of the plans there is to use uh, wind power to generate the electricity to make the hydrogen that will go into the vehicles. That's the kind of the the, the channel. For example, here here in Ireland, um, they reckon that we have the potential to because we're on the Atlantic. Is you know we have the potential to generate seven times more electricity than we need through just solar alone and i think one of the days in january 40 percent of the energy consumed in the country on that day was generated by wind power but we could be generating 700 percent um potentially and i guess the other 600 percent we're going to export through a connector to the continent of 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 europe so um you know the, I, I guess these are the, these are things that will happen like not in one year or two years, but maybe in in five, 10, 15, uh, uh, 20 years. So um, I think we're really thinking about 50, to be frank. <clears throat> well, we'll see. We'll see. Um, so coming back, say, to to this year, then, as we kind of come towards uh, come to come towards the end of our of our chat, um, might just ask one of you to suggest each each one of you to suggest one standout issue in supply chain that we should be paying special attention to through uh, 2023. So I'll start. I'll start with you, Lisa. Hmm. 
Great. <laughs> well, I mean, since we've been talking mostly about technology, that's where my mind is at the moment. So I guess I would say that we, you need, I think that the um, smart companies are going to be planning for the types of customers they want in the future, their target customer, and they're going to have more opportunity, at least in the U.S., than they've ever had in the past, um, except for maybe during the Great Depression. So they're going to have more opportunity than ever before. So they are going to have to invest in their supply chain if they want to take advantage of the opportunity. Because after all, if the other companies cannot supply um, what's going to be needed, uh, if you can, you're going to be in good shape. Obviously, you don't want to have just inventory, though. So they're going to need to be investing in the right technologies, automation, people. Um, that they're, they're just going to have to be looking at their future customers and thinking ahead and investing. Mm. I was I was I was in, interested to um because when working with clients, I I need to see their their inventory um master data oftentimes. So you can see the items, what they yep. are, where where they're coming from. And in a, in a recent project, I was interested to see that almost everything that they were um going to be using in the manufacturing process was sourced from within the region by the region i mean kind of europe only a very few items were coming from from beyond that so they seem to be kind of pulling um supply chains in tighter on the on the supply side which i thought was was interesting to avoid you know some of the geopolitical mm. risks and For other, sure. types, other types of risks um so uh diane what would be your standout uh issue that we should be paying attention to for 2023 well, I completely agree with Lisa and David earlier to his comments. My note would just be as far as automation, um, I think the clients that I'm working with that are uh, smart about approaching automation are those who make sure that they understand their process and that they really have a control of the automation before they start adding in things like barcoding, for example. They really know their, their process discipline so that as they start to bring in things like barcoding, they're not, you know, creating incorrect transactions or having, you know, on-hand inventory being, you know, completely inaccurate. So it's those who have a control on their processes and uh, really understand how to, how to like do these things in a manual effort. And then they can speed it up with automation as things become more advanced and technology becomes more available and, and uh, you know, approachable in terms of costs. Yeah. So it's kind of op optimize the process before overlaying the technology on, on top of it. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like what 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 wash your feet before you put clean socks on. That kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, and uh David, what would be your standout issue? Um I'm going to take it up a level and say visibility. And that can cover all of those sorts of areas. So visibility about where your supply is coming from and the reliability of your supply. Get some visibility around your demand. Get some visibility around what your processes are. I think if you use visibility as a high-level um, uh, topic to, to, to improve all areas of that it touches in the supply chain, then I think you're going to be substantially better off at the end of this year than you are today. Yeah. It can be really big. It can be it can be more involved than people think, can't it? Because you may have a, a supplier who's providing you with X, Y, Z, but they make that out of stuff that they get from suppliers from other Correct. parts of the world. So it's yeah. your supplier supplier as well, isn't it? Well, I would suggest that you know more than one tier back, the visibility is very poor. Yeah, that's yeah. True. 
that's true I, I completely agree with that yeah and there's uh, there's not only there's not only the supply issues there there are reputational and ethical issues tied up in that kind of uh complexity as well you know i would even say the visibility of your relationships the quality of your relationships you know that that's a very high level um, topic but it, it it it's got tentacles that go throughout all of the supply chain so if you can focus on improving the different elements of visibility in your supply chain then i think you're going to be better off okay very good. Well, thank you guys again uh, for being here. A joy to speak to you as always all around the world, um, all at strange hours, different seasons, different times of the day. So thank you all. Uh, and thanks also to our, to our listeners for tuning in once again. So until next time, keep well, stay safe and see you back here uh, very, very soon. All the best. Bye for now.